1: roll.
0: <laughs> Welcome to the Mom Room podcast. My name is Renee Rina and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This is such an amazing episode, and it is an incredible story. Alana is such an incredible human. You are going to be blown away by what her last like year and a half has been like. To start, I will say she is the founder of the mom Halo. It used to be called Mom's T.O., but she wanted to expand it to include moms that are outside of the GTA. So that's greater Toronto area. For those of you that aren't from Toronto, I know sometimes when I say GTA, people think I mean Grand Theft Auto. That is not what I mean. GTA is Greater Toronto Area. So they rebranded to the Mom Halo, which is this incredible community of moms. She started it in her living room years ago after she had her first kid. She found herself lonely, depressed, and just not feeling like herself, which I think many of us can relate to that feeling. And she felt like she didn't have anyone to talk to with regard to being a mom. So she started this community. She went on Facebook. She invited a bunch of moms over to her house to drink some wine and have some snacks. 19 women showed up in her living room and had an amazing afternoon sharing all their trials and tribulations of motherhood. So obviously she knew she was on to something that day and so mom's TO and then the mom Halo was born. So in this episode she talks about her journey on starting this amazing community, what it is right now, events that they have coming up and then also she talks about the charity Portion of the Mom Halo, which is called Project Halo. Project Halo is on a mission to raise $1 million for a parents' lounge within Sick Kids Hospital, which is in Toronto. After her experience as a NICU mama with her youngest son, Henry, she realized that something that was really missing in the Children's Hospital in Toronto was a parent lounge. And she gets into her experience when she was waiting for her son to undergo heart surgery. And it blew my mind, especially during COVID when only one parent could go in the hospital at a time. It is just heartbreaking. So she tells us all about Henry's story. He had multiple heart surgeries. He was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder. And as if that wasn't enough, her entire family, her nanny, her parents, her close family members got COVID. So she takes us through her entire story. It is unbelievable. You will be in shock at how strong she is, how well-spoken she is, and also just honest. I love her honesty. I have known her for a while, and it was really great to sit down and chat with her one-on-one for an hour. So without further ado, please welcome Elena K. Fetz to the Mom Room Podcast. Before we venture into Henry's story, I thought you could tell People who you are, about your family, and then also why you started, which used to be Mom's TO but is now Mom Halo.
1: So, hi, my name is Alana Kafitz. I am the founder of Mom Halo, and I have three kids aged four and a half, two and a half, and a one year old. You can hear some of them in the background now. We started mom halo. Actually, when I was pregnant with my first kid, Henry, I was doing all the things that pregnant parents do in their first time, sort of enjoying those moments that are really fun and thinking about all the wrong things. Like what stroller do I really need? And taking a million bumpies of myself and how cute can I look in this outfit with my little bump and all the stupidities that we think are important. And then when I had my son Elias, who was born in 2016, I was like that Mac truck hit. I say it's the Mac truck of parenting. It just I got felt completely bulldozed by this new reality. And I also have coined this idea of like the early days haze, which is everything is sort of mushed together. You don't know what has happened. You're trying to find the joy in the moments. It's kind of hard for most people. That like breastfeeding thing is really bad and hard for most people. And those are the things I probably should have, coulda, woulda spent time reading about. Is like, what does labor and delivery look like? What is this thing called breastfeeding? Oh, I'm responsible for keeping this, children, this child alive. So Mom Halo, which was uh, previously known as Mom's TO or Mom's Toronto, was to me like an act of desperation when I was looking for my girl crew. I was looking for moms to like connect with and everywhere I went, like people didn't talk to each other. It was like a really weird dynamic. I come from a 12 year history of a community builder, a fundraiser, working in the nonprofit sector, have always sort of like been a gatherer of people and organizer of stuff. So I was looking for my crew and I, I couldn't really find them. So I had just moved into the neighborhood we live now I'm a young mom. I have my babies like maybe five months old. And I just like went on a local Facebook page. I'm like, hey, I'm looking for some moms who want to come over to my house and just maybe hang out. It's BYOB, bring your babies, your boobs, and your bottles. And bottles meant like, I was obviously so funny. It's like your your baby bottle or your wine bottle, LOL. (laughs) Like whatever that was in 2016 that I thought was really clever. And lo and behold, like 19 random women showed up to my like, my matchbook house They're like, I remember this French Canadian woman was like, what's the catch? What are you trying to sell me? I'm like, absolutely nothing. My husband is a retired chef. So he made like beautiful food. We had like 12 bottles of wine and we just, I had this aha moment. This is epiphany of like, moms just want to have their identity where they are moms and also have a baby. It's not everything, baby, baby, baby all the time. So I really leaned in hard to this like putting mom first, like baby on the hip, wine on the lip. That's how it came into be Renee. And then I remember that year, there was a really cool event in Toronto that I really wanted to go to. It was like a very bougie, like food and beverage event. And I wanted to like wear my white dress and I wanted to schlep my baby with me. And I went to go buy a ticket. It was like a $300 ticket. And they're like, I'm sorry, you can't come. It's a 19 plus event. I was like, my baby is in a stroller. Like you can't bring the baby. And I was like, F this shit. I'm going to create an event that looks and feels as beautiful, as bougie. That's all, food and beverage where women can bring their baby. And that's how the first ever very mommy wine festival came to be, was this like really leaning hard into finding a place where moms could come, be themselves, have a glass of wine and hang out with their babies. Fast forward a few years later, and that's the creation of our community now, which is now known as the Mom Halo. We pivoted hard because we realized we were serving women with our virtual and digital content that were like very much outside of the greater Toronto area. So very a Canadian following. And we still sort of hit it hard with, I would say, like epic content that's both virtual and when we are in person, really fun. And it's not about wine, right? It's not about getting drunk and being fraternity girls. It's about permission, right? It's about giving moms permission to say it's okay for you to be both. You can love being mom and I hate being mom. You can exercise five days a week if that's your thing—not my thing—but if that's your thing and you want to drink it on the weekends, that's your thing, like. Just do you, like whatever you is, just do.
0: So that's how it came to be where we are and where we're going. I love that you're like, I wanna to go to this event. Screw it, I'm gonna make my own event. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what
1: it is, right? A lot of mom entrepreneurs or business owners who innovate in their motherhood is like, I saw a hole in the marketplace. You have one proof of concept of something working. And before you knew it, I think in 2017, 2018, we did 32 events. Wow. Thousands of lives. Thousands of moms coming to the coolest bars in the city, and that what it turned into it's like bars and restaurants you wouldn't you either couldn't get a reservation at that would shut per, like for us, it was VIP exclusive. This is when Bar Raval just opened, this is when Piano Piano just opened, this is when uh Sucer Lee just opened, Matt Basili, who's actually coming over later today from Lisa Marie just opened. When restaurants in 2016 we were really taking off, we were showing up with 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 moms, and mom the Mom Fest, which is now Mom Fest, which was then called the Wine Festival, it was our answer to saying like we have a capacity issue, which is everywhere we go we max out capacity. So let's see if we can get 100 moms together. Let's see if we can get 900 moms together. So since then, we're going into our basically fourth iteration of this event. And we're expecting, honestly, live, we're going to do a live offer over a few days. We're expecting around 2,500 people to come through the door. It's very COVID safe, but over the course of two days, because the demand is there. Moms really want that piece. They want that fun. They want to be able to say their baby is allowed to come. They want to meet other moms who are also at different ages and stages of parenthood. But they also want to like shop pretty things and have their own life and and smoke that joint or eat that pizza or do whatever you want to do. Like, have, have the carb. You'll be okay, you know? And that's what it was for me. It was creating these opportunities and experiences where we give moms a great day. That's it, right? That was that simple. Give moms a great day. Give them a great night. And without fail, Renee, I think, like, that's what made us best in class is that the mission was so simple. We want to give moms a great day. We want to give them a great experience. And I think we've been able to deliver that repeatedly. For sure.
0: And so if people want to find it on Instagram, it's at Mom. Is it Mom Halo? Yeah, it's Mom Halo. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long term health. Simplify your kid's mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Project Halo as well. But before we get into that, I thought we could talk about Henry's story. So Henry is your third and last child. Let's talk about his story. It is a whirlwind of a year or more than a year that you have been through. I've been following on Instagram, obviously. Can you take us to... Because you were pregnant during COVID, during the quarantine time. So can you take us back... To your pregnancy and then to birth and kind of how learning about his rare genetic disorder kind of played out.
1: So it's a good story. And I actually haven't told it yet, Renee. So that's interesting. So I got pregnant with Henry and I've always wanted a big family. I've always wanted four kids. You know, each kid is sort of like, a, oops, baby, you know, we were only planning, oops, but we were not not planning. We've had a few miscarriages here and there, but I didn't really have like a, like a traditional fertility Journey the way that some people do when they're my age. I'm not super old, but I'm older. You know, we we got pregnant with Henry, and he was kind of a surprise, a little bit. It was funny because we got pregnant with Henry right after Mom Fest in 2019. And the funny story is, is that we were we're actually sponsored by a sex toy company called We Vibe. And the story is, they sent us about 14 vibrators for giveaways, and I didn't know they were giveaways, so we used them all. <laughs> I test. I tested all of them, and Oops. we call Henry our We Vibe Oops Baby because oh. without the help of We Vibe, Henry would not be here. Anyways, I digress. So that's sort of our sense of humor too, right? It's a little bit raunch. It's funny. <laughs> um, anyways, so Henry's our Whoops We Vibe Baby, and I was pregnant during COVID, and that was sort of like okay, you know, this is fine. Like I thought having three kids during a global pandemic was going to be the hardest thing. I would ever have to do. And then little did I know that little Henry was going to be born. He was born last July. He just passed his first birthday. I've had all my kids at home. I'm a little bit of a hippie that way. So, you know, Henry was born on my bedroom floor, totally easy, natural childbirth. My midwives in tow and nothing, no red alarms at all. Like, there was no red flags at all. He didn't look like my kids. I remember looking at him, being like, Who are you? Like, who do you look like? Because he doesn't really resemble either of them. And there were some markers now that when I look back, I was like, Oh, that was weird. Oh, yes, that was weird. Oh, this is weird. And I kind of felt bad a bit. There was some guilt there, sort of being like, Oh, I should have known better. I've had like a, a litter of kids. I should know that these things were not normal. For example, so like I've nursed all of my kids, like breastfed them. And I've always had a small challenge nursing my kids. Elias took three weeks. Esther took two weeks. Henry was like by week eight, the level of precision he required to nurse was like monumental. Like I needed to be exactly like so. And he would drink and he'd drink and he'd drink. And he was never satiated and he wasn't really growing. And then he would literally project a vomit multiple times. Like not like a spit up. I'd be like his entire like exorcist every single day. And I was like, oh, okay. And then some days he was unsootherable, but I was like, maybe he's just a colicky baby. So nothing that was like super alarming, but looking back, like, you know, extraordinarily challenges with latching. I remember taking him to a um, orthopathy, I don't know. And she like did some stuff and I thought it was effective. But anyways, nothing really stood out as particularly challenging. But it wasn't until, because of COVID also, we weren't seeing anybody. We weren't seeing other babies. So there was no comparison to see him against another child. I want to look back at photos now when he was in his first three months of life, he was a sick baby. Like he looked pretty sick. And I know that now, right? Hindsight's 2020. twenty twenty, And it wasn't until I took him for his three-month checkup, which was late because we did it at four months because of COVID, my pediatrician, who was also my ex-podcast host, who is a friend of mine, took one look at him and she's like, he looks a little, he doesn't look okay. And then she took a, a listen to his heart. She's like, his, he has a very loud heart murmur. A heart murmur is very common. It's not unheard of to have a heart murmur. She's like, I'm going to send you for a cardiology echocardiogram. I was like, okay. didn't think, literally thought nothing of it. Like, I remember it was like a, just an average day where I vlog on my, on my Instagram channel about whatever I was doing the day. I was like, oh, I need to like go to St. Joe's for this echo to hear because Henry has a murmur. So I'll see you later, like thinking nothing of it and getting there. And the cardiologist was like, does he always look like this? I'm like, look like what? It's like, does he always breathe like this? I'm like, breathe like what? He's like pointing out all these physical things that were obvious to him that were not obvious to me. So they did the echo. They were very like silent. And I have an issue with doctors anyways. Like that's why I'm with midwives. So I don't I don't love or trust physicians for a variety of reasons. And then it was it was the height of COVID, right? So everybody's like scared of COVID anyways. And there was no one in the hospital. It was a very scary thing. So remember all of my ultrasounds were during COVID. Delivered my baby at home with midwives during COVID. Found out this diagnosis with Henry through COVID. So there's like, I'm by myself with all these situations, schlepping my little tiny baby around. And my other two kids were still at home because schools were closed and everything. So we're trying to cobble together care for our like rest of our life. And at that appointment, that doctor was like, you need to go to sick kids immediately. They're like, he has this and this and this wrong with his heart. It's like me literally speaking pig Latin to you wouldn't know what the hell I was saying.
0: So he knew that just from listening?
1: I'm look at do one echocardiogram and one EKG. Oh, okay. They did it. I was there for 45 minutes and I wasn't at Sick Kids, I was at a different hospital. He's like, "I'm a pediatric cardiologist. I work at this hospital, but you need to go down to Sick Kids, which is like the hospital." And he's like, "You need to go immediately." And I was like, he's like, "I made an appointment for you to see cardiology right now." So from the day that Dina listened, it was 7 days later that they were like, "You need to go to you need to go to Sick Kids immediately." He rushed us to Sick Kids into cardiology. I remember I called Matt and I was like, he was in the car in the parking lot waiting for us because no, two parents weren't allowed in. And I was like, babe, we need to go to sick kids immediately. Like it's urgent. Like they want us to go to cardiology. And he was like, what the fuck? I literally started hyperventilating and crying. And as I'm leaving sick kids, I ran into two fans and followers who are like, Elena, are you okay? Like I see that. And I was like crying. I'm like, like, I'm so sorry. I follow you. And I see you're crying. Like, Anyways, I'll never forget running into those two like random women who both like happened to see me and they wanted to stop and chat. And I was like, I got to go. And we literally rushed down to Sick Kids from St. Joe's, which is like a 20 minute drive. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Just like over and over again. And we got there, we went to cardiology, they did a full workout and it was the first time I took photos of him with like the stickers all over his little tiny body and he's just relaxing, not knowing anything that's going on. I'm literally having a complete mental breakdown because your kid goes from being completely healthy, only knowing normal, like healthy things to being like, oh, I'm now in a cardiology clinic. Like this is what we're doing now. So the echocardiographs are like going off. I meet like, like a senior cardiologist. And again, does he always look like this? Does he always breathe like this? I was like, what? Like what? Like I didn't see it. So now when I know, when I looked at it now and now that I'm a pretty like sort of seasoned medical mama, everything was wrong. Like his breath was off, his color was off, his size was off. Like even the genetic markers are very, very, very subtle in his face, but they're there and I can see them now. It's one of those things that you never ever want to experience as a parent, but now I'm on the other side of it. So, you know, on the other side of this experience now is we're, okay, so from that appointment- Cardiology is like, look, he's he's been alive for five for three and a half months. He has this particular issue called a PDA ligation. It's a hole in the heart between the two chambers of the heart, which usually closes within a week of being born. His didn't close. So as the reason Henry wasn't growing and the reason he was eating so much and puking is because he was burning so many calories, the heart was pumping too too much, so he wasn't growing. That's called failure to thrive, which is the first time I've heard that expression, which is mean they're super small and they don't meet their milestones. It's a disgusting term, but that's what it's called, failure to thrive, because they're not thriving. He said that's an issue. He also says that the aorta, which pumps blood through your body, was very small. So it's called a coarctation, a narrowing of the aorta. So those are the two things. And they're like, look, we're going to try to fix this and we're going to do it next week. I went from not knowing anything to finding out there's a murmur to having an echo to seven days later, having our first surgery. So that was November 27th. On December 7th, we had our first heart surgery, which was called a thoracotomy. That's when they go through your back. So it's supposed to be less invasive and an easier recovery. And I'm having like a complete fucking meltdown. Like My kid is about to go into, is having heart surgery. Like what the fuck? So they go into the back a sca- it's called sca- the schedule like, Oh, we have an opening on this day. Like just like, it's just like, the way that like casual. Oh, we have an opening for this day. So they give you the waiver and you have to sign it. It's like, these are all the risks. And in big letters at the end, the last is death, D-E-A-T-H in big letters. And this like fellow comes in and he's like, you need to sign this paperwork. And I'm there by myself in COVID in a mask with my kid about to go into the operation. And that's the first time I had my first experience at Sick Kids checking in and being admitted as a, as a family. So they do the surgery and I'll never forget like just sitting in that waiting room where all the other families are there and there's women fucking weeping next to me and everyone is literally by themselves. There's no parent with another and it's all moms primarily. I would say 98% is moms all waiting. And there's literally like when you, when you go to like, I don't know, I don't know, like when you're waiting for at the deli counter and like you're waiting for your number to come up, it's your kid's initials. And it's like starting in progress over or like in recovery, it's three colors. So I'm just waiting for my little like HK to fucking like That's sitting crazy. there, I'm just fucking sitting there. Anyways, the whole thing was so insane. And then they take them, the babies into, or anyone who's recovering to CCU or ICU is intensive care unit or CCU is a cardiac, the cardiac care center. So when you hear on on like the news about people being in ICU, I don't think people understand what the fuck an ICU is. 24-7 around the clock nurses who are normally there post-operatively when somebody is literally on the verge of dying at any given time. That is what ICU CCU is. It's critical care. This isn't some like... Gray's Anatomy hospital room where somebody's eating their pudding. They are on a fucking ventilator. They are like plugged in. They are not alive without these people. So that's where Henry was transferred to with CCU the first time. And I see my little kid come out and he's fucking tubes out of his face, tubes out of his arms, tubes out of every part of his body. He's so small and I'm there by myself. So it was crazy. And that was the first operation. So then we go home, they send us the medicine. We were like discharged within six days. We weren't even there a week and we were home. And I was like, okay, we need to handle this guy really carefully and and watch out. We have to handle him really carefully. 10 days later, Henry is sitting in his bumbo chair that I obviously put on the counter, which I shouldn't have. And obviously he falls out of the chair and spasms his head on the ground. 10 days post-operatively. This is like late December, I rush him to the, I call 911, like get into an ambulance. We go to eMERGE. He's cognitively fine. Like they do everything they can for checking him out, but they bring down cardiology. And when you're a cardiology family, when you're a heart family, they're always checking their blood pressures and oxygen saturation. Those are the two things you're looking for. So this physician comes down and he does in the eMERGE, they check his blood pressures. And the way that they check their blood pressure is kind of old school. With a baby, they do what's called the four-point blood pressure. So they do blood pressure on both arms and both legs. And what they're looking for is a gradient, which means a difference in blood pressures. So it's a little bit technical, but they found, after we brought him to emerge, completely separately, that Henry's blood pressure, like his beats per minute, were 50 beats higher in his arms than his legs. So this means that... They had done one part of the surgery, didn't think they needed to do the other part of the surgery. And the more invasive one is called the open heart surgery, which is where they cut the zipper down the front of the chest. It was in that emerge vision that they said, we need to do the open heart surgery. The first surgery didn't catch what we needed to do. It was one piece, we have to do the other one. So within two and a half weeks, Henry at three and a half to four and a half months old, had two heart surgeries back to back. And when you, I look at it now, it's actually quite common for cardiac kids to have multiple heart interventions in their lifetime. This close together is very rare. So December 31st of 2020, we went into operation and January 1st, he came out um, having been a, a full-on heart warrior, which is when you have that complete heart repair. So Anyways, we had a very extended hospital stay with a lot of other complex things. Yeah, so that's, that's what happened. Like, Henny was born. It was COVID. I was recovering from the first 90 days of having a child. And then went right into this, like, new existence. And still trying to manage my business. I took a little bit of a hiatus, of course. But managing the business, managing the social managing my other kids it's, it was fucking crazy yeah and I haven't really even told the story of Renee so I'm sorry if it's not so succinct but this no. is, this is story. fast forward we're home a bit it's March of 2021 we are home and the whole thing with getting discharged from sick kids is like you just want to get home because the sooner you get home the sooner you get back to normal life the sooner you get back to healing etc and like that extended hospital stay for a baby can be detrimental because like they're missing developmental milestones etc cetera, etc cetera. it's not normal to like live in a hospital in that way. So, you know, it was a really messed up situation because like most people during COVID were not going anywhere. And I was getting dressed every day, sleeping at home during the nights, getting up at 6 a.m. and going to hospital like it was my job. Like I was there every day, 12 hours a day. So that's it really. Like we we were home in March and then it was the the height of COVID. And what ended up happening was we got COVID, my entire family. My kids' daycare had a outbreak of the variant of concern, which I think was the UK variant that was super contagious in March that everyone was getting COVID. So we like dodged this bullet for almost an entire year and a half of running away from the thing that the entire world is trying to hide from. And we got it. 11 of us got it. My parents who are in their seventies, my sister who was very involved
0: with us, my
1: nanny and five
0: members of my family. What was the difference between the adults symptoms or how you guys felt versus your children? So it was really messed up.
1: So Matt and I and my nanny, my parents and my sister, we got hit so hard with that wave. Matt and I, like we are, were like, the first day you're like, oh, I'm fine. And the next day you're like, I am dying. I am dying. It's so literally like cold and flu and but every virus you've ever had in your entire life Every virus you're having in your entire life happened the exact same time. That's what COVID is. It's everything you could possibly ever imagine. And the fact my parents were in their 70s, survived it is like unbelievable. They had one vaccine. They still got hit hard. They were on oxygen for about seven and a half weeks afterward. It was insane. And my my nanny, myself and my husband, my sister all had similar sort of like flu-like symptoms, but I don't even want to say it was flu. Like we had no help with our three children post-operatively. We were here for two weeks. My nanny was out. My sister was out. Our entire village that we counted on was out. And I thought like, how could this year get any worse? We just had this open-heart surgery and then we had COVID. And the minute we recovered from COVID, and I didn't know anyone who had COVID. We were the first people I knew. And, you know, we were living a pretty COVID-safe lifestyle. Just our daycare had 11 cases that broke out amongst the kids. Like, what are you going to do? And I had actually pulled my son from public school and put him into this private daycare where they had a JK program. So my kids would be in a smaller bubble so they wouldn't get COVID. Literally that was, so it's a, one of a million decisions you make as a parent that you just, oh, well, like it happened anyways. So we all got COVID that March. April 1st was the day we were done our quarantine from when we got COVID. That was the day I get a call from Sick Kids Genetics. To tell me, we've discovered that Henry has a rare genetic disorder. Had they been investigating something? They, They had. So cardiology alerted genetics and often with a heart issue, it's very common there is a genetic syndrome. And rare genetic syndromes are extraordinarily rare because they're exactly that. Even though there's millions of people who have rare genetic syndromes, no two are the same. And often there are some similarities. And often what Henry had, which is the coarctation of the aorta, is an indicator of certain genetic disorders. We're not carriers. It's not passed down. There's no environmental issues. It's a random genetic mutation of one of the chromosomes. That's literally it. So while we were in hospital, the geneticists, I love them, but they're like the nerdiest people you've ever met. There's 15 geneticists in Toronto the pediatric geneticists are the sweetest most. They're so sweet, but they're like, they're literally like mice. Like they, they come into the room and you don't even, they're like, hello, my name is Dr. So-and-so. I'm here from genetics. We're just going to take a photo of Henry and run it against our database. I'm like, okay, like never thought anything of it. And then because we had an extended stay, this one geneticist came back. She's like, hi, I'm Henry's mom. I just want to let you, know, we found this paper. Some of these findings look like Henry." Just the baby looks like Henry and they have this and this and this that Henry has, but he doesn't have all of these things. I'm like, okay, cool. So I started researching a bit about anything that they said could look like a rare genetic disorder. I started researching it. So this one very rare genetic disorder called Myrie syndrome is what Henry had. And it happened to be that the kids could test for it, which is very, very rare. And it happened to be that this geneticist happened to find this one research paper from Harvard with a baby that looked exactly like Henry. So it's a blessing and a curse. We were at Sick Kids for 90 days in total. If we hadn't been there, we wouldn't have found the disorder. And many people who have this rare genetic disorder, it was only starting to being diagnosed in 2012. Many people have lived their entire lives into their adulthood, or many people have lost children not knowing that this was was what they had. So Henry is one of the youngest people in the world to have this diagnosis. There's only six people in Canada with this diagnosis. There's less than 200 people on the planet. So he's one in 38 million with this diagnosis. And we're learning more and more about it. It's a connective tissue disorder. And there's all these things that are going to affect his his ability to Function and live, but we're hoping, and we have seen that there are many adults not many, but there are adults who live in the world with Myri who had lived into that point with a variety of challenges, but not knowing that they had this condition. The fact that we know allows us, I think, to have much more interesting opportunities for early intervention and us for also to know that he's not just a simple cardiac baby. Cardiac babies, you fix their heart and they're repaired and they sort of live a very full life. With Henry, because of the cardiac issue was a symptom of a larger condition. We are now learning more and more. And, you know, we're sitting here in August. So April, May, June, July, August, we've known for four and a half months about this condition. So we're still learning. And it took us about six weeks to process. So a Mother's Day of this past year is when we shared with our community and our family about Henry's condition, because it took us some time to sort of process and digest what it had been and I'm still processing and digesting. So, anything that happens now with Henry, I don't hesitate. If he has a freaking runny nose or a fever or he has a trip, I don't we are going to sick kids like we are now a sick kids family and that's how Project Halo, which is now our charitable initiative, came to be is that we really want to give back in a way that was really meaningful. And we had always done charitable initiatives, but not to this magnitude. And one day I was at Sick Kids and I had been sitting there and I know they're building a new hospital, but I really felt like there wasn't like a comfortable place for parents to be, especially when you're waiting for your kid to have surgery. They have these waiting rooms and they're pretty sterile. And the places where families are at, you're not allowed to like check in to the hospital while your kids in operation. They're not considered to be your kids are not considered to be admitted until they are post-operative. So if somebody's kid is having a 12-hour surgery, they're sitting in a waiting room sleeping on anything they can with their suitcases and their pillows, like just waiting. And then when their kid is in CCU or ICU, there's nowhere for them to go. You're just sitting there with your suitcases. And with COVID, what you see around the hospital, Renee, are parents sleeping in vehicles in the underground parking lot. And one parent is parked literally making a bed in their trunk. It is like, literally, I'm going to say it's like a refugee camp of parents of kids
0: who are in dire situations. It is Horrendous. Like parents who need the most comfort and support, and like are going through something so significant. To think that that's their environment that they get to hang out in, and you know, go through all these difficult emotions and process what's going on. Yeah, that's a problem. Or not even process. It is a problem, and it's not necessarily sick kids. That's just what the hospital
1: policies are. So I was like. I want to build the sickest parent lounge where parents can rest and chill. And even when you're waiting for those surgical moments, that's one thing. When you're admitted and your kid has been living in hospital, I met parents whose kids are waiting for heart transplants. I've met parents who've been there 10 times. I met a girl who's had 29 surgeries. Like they have been there a lot. And it's not a place where parents get to really hang out. It's a place where there's so much catering to the kids and that's what it should be too magical. And a kid doesn't even know it's happening because it's, it's one of those situations that's so horrendous, but they have amazing therapy clowns and they have amazing spaces for kids to, to be entertained and to be inspired. But if you're as an adult person going through and processing these things, like you know, it, it's, it can be a really hard, hard place to be. And I know they're working toward in the new hospital to create like new spaces that are super inspiring and beautiful and very much for parents. So that's why we committed to this million dollar fundraise by 2026 to create a space for parents that's really inspiring and beautiful and comfortable and full of dignity and pride and 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 softness when you're like, going through something super hard. So that's what our goal is for Project Halo. We're $100,000 in and we started in middle of March. And we're hoping to continue to work towards that goal. Our mom community has been, our parenting community has been remarkable with this fundraising initiative. And now it's sort of built into the fabric of who we are as an organization, as we will always have this project halo. And once we've raised a million dollars for sick kids, we're going to raise another million for some another cause, whatever it could be. So this is our commitment for the time being. And it's, it's really necessary to create a space and I think it goes back to our roots, right? Like we're, we're all about the mom halo vibe, which is like giving moms a great day. And those moms that say kids, okay, like no one ever wants to be a parent of a sick kid. I can tell you that. I can bet your bottom dollar. No one says, oh, I really hope my kid is unwell. The only thing you can hope for yourself is that you are well and that your child is well. And when you have a child who is unwell for any specific reason, there's so many amazing facilities and organizations that take care of the kids and the kids' well being. There's not a lot out there that's taking care of the mental and, physical and psychological and needs of parents of kids who are, how are who are sick and i just can't believe like i still have to pinch myself that i'm on the other side now where like i am a parent of a sick kid i am a medical mama i walk around with syringes i walk around with medical tape you know so i'm a mom of a sick kid that's that's what i am now we are a medical family i have an iv pole in my in my living room like it's you know i have a i have a stethoscope i know how to do things that most parents will never even imagine that they have to do. And my kid is, my kid's okay compared to other people's kids. And the grass is always greener, right? Like when I'm with people whose kids are able-bodied, who are completely healthy, they look at me and they're like, holy crap, how is she doing it? And I look at other families whose kids are extraordinarily challenged with when it comes to able-bodiedness or physicalities or rare genetic disorders or people who have terminal illness, you know, when you look at kids, getting on the elevator at SickKids and you know they're going to the cancer floor, you like, you can't help but, But like, you know, your heart breaks a bit when you see a parent walking around SickKids and you know that they're wearing the parenting badge that makes them an inpatient. You, but like, you like, everyone like bows their heads to each other because you know, like you're, you're in it for the long haul. So that's the story more or less. I've never told it before, Renee. This is the first time I'm telling sort of the whole thing.
0: This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. like everybody needs to hear the story it's a really important story and I'm wondering if you have advice for parents who are finding themselves in a similar situation or someone who does have a child that's unwell and is struggling like what are some things that you think are important for parents to do for themselves or advice on, on how to navigate this? My advice for how to navigate
1: this is if you're somebody who has a recent diagnosis of any nature, look, I've been on the other side too, right? I've had a kid who's had a broken bone, like Essa. Essa, my second child (laughs) right before COVID in February of 2019 or 2020, whatever it was, don't remember what year it is. January 2020, Essa broke her femur and she was in a body cast from her nipples to her ankle. And I remember being like, oh my God, oh my God, how am I going to manage with my kid in a body cast? A broken bone. Like she was was healed in seven weeks, right? So it's about perspective a bit. I think, you know, when kids, you know, have a tumble or they get a, a skin burn or something like that, it's like no one wants those sorts of things for their kids. Our job and our lives as parents, really it comes down to two things, is to make sure our kids are safe and that they're healthy. That's what our jobs are. And sometimes we can't, the second one healthy, we don't, we can't really control. And that's a very hard thing to, to realize. So I think number one is like realizing that you're sort of in a controlled list situation. Number two is if you find out that you are, are going to be, you are now a medical mama, if you're in a situation where your kid all of a sudden is unwell for any particular reason, whether or not it is a for a short time or if it's something that's going to be chronic, like learn to become an advocate for your kid, learn, learn the systems. There's so much out there, especially in Canada, there's so many resources available. I'm still learning what's available to us. So that's that. The other thing is just like do the research, you know, read as much as you can, join the Facebook groups, even if you're not a joiner. It's good to, when you have a question and you need to sort of pull the hive. And you might not be a part of that community forever. And when you're sort of in the throes of something like I was, like with heart surgery, I was on that Facebook page every day asking questions to other parents who had been through it before me. And I think also give yourself time to process. I think that's the biggest thing is like, as soon as we came out about Henry's rare genetic disorder, I had a lot of families and a lot of fans and followers and friends reach out saying like, I know somebody who also has a kid with a rare genetic disorder. And like when I had just found out about the diagnosis, I really didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I didn't really want to hear their stories. I really wanted to just sort of process what we had been, the cards we had been dealt and additionally, I think the other pieces is like, I'm still processing. I'm still learning. I share the story and we live a very like public life. So I'm very open and honest about much of what happens in our daily grind. I don't really keep much close to the chest. That's my coping mechanism, right? So I'd say for you, like if you're somebody who is looking for a coping mechanism, sharing is really caring, for lack of a better word. I know a lot of people whose kids have been sick or a lot of people, for instance, who've had COVID or whatever it is. And it's like this little like dirty secret. They don't tell people. They think they're going to be judged. I've had people come to me privately like my kid has a rare genetic disorder. I've never told anybody before because of COVID. We got away with not telling anybody. And I'm not sure that's the way to sort of live an experience. I'm not, I'm not sure that doesn't work for me. I need to share. I need to find my community So those are the other things. I also think like, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to sort of mourn the loss of the life that your child was going to have or you thought they were going to have. That was a really hard one for me. And to some degrees, Renee, I have to be honest, like when I see normal, healthy babies and I have- children who are normal and healthy. But when I see kids who are Henry's same age and stage and they're totally normal and they're hitting all the developmental milestones, I'm sort of like, I can't follow this person. I can't, I I have a hard time seeing healthy kids. And that's a hard thing to admit is like, I see somebody who is nine weeks older or nine weeks younger. And I'm like, oh, that baby's so cute. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, F you. Like your baby, why, why do I have an unhealthy baby? So I think some of that's a little bit like, why me? It's not guilty or pity, but it's Recognizing those thoughts, blessing them, and then forgetting them, right? And then trying to celebrate the beauty that is, right? I've had a lot of people I know in my life who had siblings who were who were special, or had rare disorders, or had conditions, and they themselves are really amazing people, and they literally accredit their like personality, their demeanor, their patience, their kindness, their. purpose in life, they pay homage to their sibling who had difference. So to some degree, maybe I'm hoping that as my kids get older, I know a lot of adult siblings who hate each other and are worrying all the time. But I also know a lot of adult siblings who have a, a sibling who is an adult with special needs and they don't have that dynamic because they just have a different value proposition in their minds if they go through life. They don't, maybe they don't take things for granted the way that other people might. So I'm hoping to find what I call the lemonade situation is you always make lemonade when you're given lemons and I'm really good at making lemonade. I'm also really good at existing and feeling not always happy and amazing and not super sad and low. I can't do that. I'm medium. I rotate in the medium ecosystem and I'm very candid with that. So if you're a family going through those things, feel the feelings, find the support, acknowledge those feelings, even the dark ones and, and just try to find your community. And this is this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Like we're in it for the long haul. So, And if you ever need anything and you think I could be somebody who could help parlay you to a, a direction, for support in sort of the ecosystem of medicalized moms, I'm happy to help do those sorts of things as well.
0: So obviously with a rare genetic disorder, and like you were saying, there's six people in Canada that have it. It must be difficult. Like, where do you go for treatment, for guidance? And obviously I know you talk a lot about all the physical therapy that he's doing and that he's going to need in the future and occupational therapy. So you guys had set up a GoFundMe specifically because of all these medical things that you're going to need for his whole life, probably. And so how can people support that? And then also, if they know someone who is going through something similar, what is the best way for people to support families? And can you tell us about the GoFundMe and where people can go for that?
1: Yeah, so when we learned about Henry's rare genetic disorder, it it came to be that like we're hardworking people, right? Like we're 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 middle class people, but the amount of money that we need to take Henry to his eighteenth birthday with the level of therapies and intervention he's gonna require is it's it's not normal.
0: People probably think your Canadian isn't healthcare free, but can you speak on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. So yeah, our public healthcare system is free. The leading expert in the world on this particular matter is based in Boston. Her name is Angela Lynn. The foundation in the community is called the Mo- the Myri Foundation, which I'm learning more and more about. And in order to go to Boston, if you want to go to Boston and like have a workout, it's for three days. It's thirty thousand dollars just to go for the tour and to to meet all the specialists and of course in Henry's lifetime we're going to want him to meet the leading expert in the world because of covid it's extraordinarily hard to go right now because of the way that US hospital systems work they have a hard time seeing people out of out of state never mind out of country and myrie is quite actually common in the UK. There's about 36 people in Britain. There's people in Spain. There's people in some of like the Netherlands and stuff like that. So lots of international people want to see this one world expert and she can only take on a certain amount of patients in a year. So we're trying to like get closer to the community that being said, yeah, like Henry's in therapy three to four hours a week right now. And it's 140 bucks an hour for private therapy. That's what it is. Not all insurance covers it. And we maxed out within like two weeks of him being home. So yeah, our a lot of people do start medical GoFundMe to help with those medical bills. And I have to tell you, Renee, like we were overwhelmed when we announced on Mother's Day of this past year about Henry's condition, we were really uncomfortable with the GoFundMe. Like it was like an extraordinarily uncomfortable thing to be like, we need help and we need financial help, but that's what families need. They need fucking financial help. I mean, I mean people were sending us Uber meals for like three months, which was awesome and so amazing. And I had this whole thing going on, my coping mechanism in hospital, which I didn't really talk about, was like every day when I was at sick kids for about three months, like our community was doing acts of radical generosity, whether or not it was sending food to the nurses or sending gifts to the nurses or arranging meals for the nurses. I literally had like a meal train going for probably weeks where the nurses of 4D were not bringing lunches because they knew that Atlanta's community was going to like supply dinner that week or whatever. So those things were amazing to like do things for the the people who help keep people alive sick kids. And then on a personal note, it was a really hard thing to ask, ask for financial help and to realize like, we are going to need this for a long time. So we set the goal of a hundred thousand, actually it was $10,000 was the first goal. And we beat that in like Fifteen minutes. So we moved it up to hundred thousand dollars, which we got to pretty quickly. We've now moved it up to two hundred thousand dollars because we realize the money is going like we're spending it already on Henry and his needs, on his care. As I said, we always wanted to have four kids. Henry will be our last child because he actually requires the care of like two or three kids. He's he needs one on one care all of the time. And then I had to, as a parent, I had to make a decision. Right? Do so I go to Boston for a three day tour? of like meeting the leading expert or do I take $30,000 and invest that into 12 months of physical therapy right now, right? So those are the decisions I have to make and we have to weigh those decisions. So like I've pulled both of my kids, Elias and Essa, my older ones out of any care facility and we're changing things up in order to make sure we can pour everything we have into Henry for the next three years is our goal because we want to get him talking and walking and eating so that by the time he ages, he ages into a public school system, we have the option to say like, does he need to continue to have intervention for his entire life? And we just don't know. With Myri syndrome, it's such a huge spectrum of, of able ability and disability. It's such a spectrum of of everything from our kids, verbal or nonverbal Are kids, are they vision impaired? Are they hearing impaired? Do they, are they in a wheelchair? Are they in a walker? Are they, it is such a huge spectrum. And you know, the, the research in the sample size is so small that we don't even know what we don't know yet until it presents. So we're, we're also, you know, we've met with a really interesting financial advisor who specializes with families with kids with special needs that's his expertise. And he said, most people don't come to him until their kids are in their twenties and saying like, oh my God, like my kid has now grown through the system. I now have an adult child who is unable to manage like in the world. And now we need to start planning for them. He's like the fact that our child is not yet one. when we first made the phone call to say, we'd like to put away a little nest egg for Henry or invest these things so that when he is 18 and 25 or whatever, that he has those things in place. He was like, you're making the right decision now with these things. So Some of it is like immediate needs and some of it is long-term needs. When I talk to sort of other moms and families, who are in similar situations, who are kids are way more severely disabled than us. I said, like, how do people financially do this? And the answer is, like, people just live in debt. They just live in extreme amount of debt. Technologies, like wheelchairs and stuff like that, sometimes it's covered, sometimes it's not. Hearing aids, sometimes they're covered, sometimes they're not. And this that stuff's really expensive. So on the ground, like, it is a huge financial I guess, implication of having a kid who is unwell, not to mention the emotional and physical challenges of just on us as a family, it's, it's extraordinarily hard. And that's why we, we set up the GoFundMe is, and it will be open for his entire life. So at any given time, and we hope we now see our friends and families as sort of very invested in Henry's health. And we, our plan is once a year, we're going to give an update through our GoFundMe to anyone who's ever contributed.
0: Awesome. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing this story. I'm sure lots of people are going to relate. And it's just nice, even for families who don't have a child with special needs or a rare diagnosis, I love sharing other people's stories because I think in parenting, we're so involved in our own kids. And we're like, we have blinders on to what other people might be going through. So I love to hear stories and being able to share your story was an honor and I'm so happy that you came on. Where can people find Mom Halo and how can they donate to Project Halo? Tell us everything where people can find you. All the things, yeah, No, Renee, it's interesting you say that, by the way, I
1: just wanna remark on that one thing is like, I used to be somebody who saw somebody's kids who had special needs or who are unwell and I couldn't see it. Like I just had to go buy it. I didn't wanna even think about a kid being sick it was too hard for me to see a kid who was unwell that I would just swipe right by. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because you're like, you can't, you don't want to ever empathize or put yourself in the situation where like, holy shit, I never want to be there. So I challenge you if you're watching this, like if you see something that is a difference than your life, it doesn't matter if it's race, religion, socioeconomic status, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening in the world right now. It's hard to see hard things, but I think if we want to grow and we want to learn and we really want to, create a world that's different for our kids and we ourselves have to have empathy and look at things that are hard to see. So I challenge you to, to stop the, stop the scroll and look at something that might be a little bit uncomfortable. So that's number one. Number two, if you are interested in learning more about our sort of vivacious and fun community, the mom halo vibes, check it out at mom. Halo is on our Instagram. Our website's obviously at momhalo.com. We run our big, big annual event. That's actually coming up called mom fest, which is sort of our very, Big celebratory annual party, which is coming up this October and will happen again in May. So it happens twice a year. So is it in person now? We are doing, we're doing person and virtual. It's called hybrid. We're doing one day live, one day virtual, and one evening live and all very COVID policies in place. So yeah, we're going live.
0: Where is it?
1: It's gonna be in Toronto, at downtown on Peter Street, at a place called Ricardas. We've been there before. So the Sunday, which is the October 17th, will be a market with timed entries and reduced capacities, but all COVID friendly. The 18th will be all virtual conference style, like virtual panels all day on a variety of topics for all different stages and ages of parenting. And then that evening, we're going to like a, a gala, like a fest Awards gala. And I say it's an air quote because it's a very un-gala gala. It's just like a huge party with lots of things happening. And it's going to be very beautiful and really nice and very, very obviously reduced capacity because of COVID. So yeah, we're going live. And, you know, whatever, whatever the world will bring, our hope is to still be able to go live. We've planned, I've already paid for the venue. So we're going live. And uh, we're just fingers crossed that everything will go as well. As planned, we're going to do everything we can to protect our mommies and our kids and whoever attends. Yes, more on that. And those are all those places. If you want to learn more about Project Halo, you can. It's at Project Halo on Instagram, which is our charitable initiative. And what we challenge families to do is like just to fundraise any way you want. Some people started baking. Companies just to do this. Some women are and parents did like garage sales. Some people spun up clothing businesses. A lot of people started sort of their own social enterprise as a way to participate in this, and that was sort of like a very interesting surprise is we're third-party fundraisers for sick kids and now we have all these third-party fundraisers for Project Halo and it's been remarkable to see people we call it like I call it like the 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 bread money like people made a sourdough company and they're you know raised like almost ten thousand dollars from that there's been a, a music teacher who does baby classes and she's at like ten thousand dollars just from pay what you can music classes every Sunday so people have really leaned in hard the community and it's a fierce love and dedication to this project. I think people really saw it because I was showing it as I was going through it. So they felt it. So that's Project Halo. And then if you want to know more about the GoFundMe, we can link it up here too. So thanks so much.
0: Awesome. Okay. Yes, I will put all the links and the links to the Instagram accounts and everything in the episode notes. So yes, it was really nice to chat with you. And you too, Renee. thank you so much for coming on and telling us your story. Bye. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh?